Hello, and welcome to Web of Resonance. I'm Teresa Carmody with Elemental Journeys. And I am Ken Rune Walker. Welcome. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful day here where I am uh, in Utah. And it is likewise uh, a very summery day here in Portland. So uh, definitely feeling uh, that Beltane has arrived and summer is not far behind. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm just looking out my window and there's the little white blossoms on the tree and the wind is rustling through the quake and aspen leaves and uh, it's very, I'm ready for summer. Yeah, me too. I just had, uh, just harvested uh, some of the, I have Douglas fir trees in my yard and just harvested some of their little buds Um and they are delightful. Ooh, what do you do with them? Well, um, I make a tea out of them. So I'll harvest them and then uh, just steep them in water. They're really nice that way. Uh, but I just went outside and grabbed one right off the tree and popped it in my mouth. <laughs> it was really good. Really? Um, yeah, uh, I found uh, there's also a recipe for making like a simple syrup. You just put the, the new growth like in a mason jar and cover it with sugar. And the sugar actually draws out um, the sap and it makes uh, a syrup. Ooh. So I haven't tried that yet. I don't usually keep sugar. Um, but uh, but I'm definitely going to harvest some and, and stick them in the fridge and, and make some tea or... Uh, Maybe put them in salads. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. I, I love the concept. Um, Tati, I had a friend in Portland um, who she would just, she had started, uh, she had their, her house and her garden outside were a whole bunch of either edible because they were for food or plants that were just edible. And uh, she would, she got hungry, just walk outside and, kind of snack through the garden and go back in and, and she was done. And I think that yeah. that's a, an amazing ability to be able to, um, to just walk outside and just have a little nibble, come back in. Yeah. I'm looking for where we've done, a, you know, we've done a ton of like, uh, I think I told you a few minutes ago, we had um, kind of gone up into the mountains this morning um, and uh gotten some rock to do around our um food and flower beds um but yeah like we're getting usually uh, after mother's day it's pretty safe for us here to plant without the 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 threat of a hard freeze so we'll be we'll be starting a lot of that um yeah like right next week wonderful i'm excited I think yeah, a lot excited. more people are doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what kind of tips come up, how people are reacting to that. Um, you know, Portland is already pretty notorious for people having uh, beds in their yard or chickens and um, yep. yeah, I know quite a few people who, uh, are living in a very urban environment, but keep chickens. 
So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how much more of that comes out of being at home and and really thinking about um, being more mindful about uh, grocery shopping and things like that, where our food comes from. So I have to tell you that there was an article or like a news, uh, like a news segment that was um, right when all of this happened and we were all you know, stay home order. So six, eight weeks ago, whatever the, um, there was a, an IFA, uh, it's a country store, um, that they sold like in one weekend, like it was thousands and thousands of chickens of chicks. So everybody like stormed the country store and bought chicks because they were afraid they were going to be out of eggs. So um, I just told Tati, I said, listen, if we want chickens, we just need to wait like about mm, two or three months when people don't want them anymore. And then they'll just be giving them away and we'll just go get chickens then that are already raised up enough that we don't have to keep them in a little in the house. Right. Um, I was, I was amazed like thousands, thousands and thousands of chickens bought in that first week. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. It's amazing that, that uh, like right now we're harvesting soil out of the old chicken yard because it's now been a year and it's not hot anymore and it's great um, fertilizer. So it's really interesting to be having to having having lived here now off and on in this house for five or six years um, at, and having the goal of, um, you know, uh, uh, helping to nurture and working with the land spirits here to create, um, you know, really beautiful food in, in gardens and, um, it's been really cool this week, this, this well, since we've moved back to, to start to kind of envision that again. Um, and also this week we uh, cleared away. I had let, we had a land altar and I had kind of just said, I just want it to go natural, but it gets really overgrown quite quickly. Not like it does in the Pacific Northwest, but um, for here. And uh, so we're clearing away all the kind of the grasses and, and some of the big sagebrush that kind of had grown in it. And uh, it exposed the ring of stones that we had, we had dug a ring around a center post and marked the different, like a winter solstice, summer solstice, where the sun came up and, and the shadow shone on the ring. And uh, it's really interesting to kind of go back and, and unearth a little bit of that because over the past five years, it's kind of, been covered up and so to kind of go back and unearth it like it's a i'm indiana jones slightly (laughs) i'm I'm an archaeologist um but unearthing it and kind of uh working with it a little differently now has been a really interesting um uh and thing that i'm grateful that i've been able to do with all of this stay at home um directive and it's been cool I think that that is a great follow-up from our episode last week with Moon, where we were doing a reading for Gaia. 
um, you know, what I, what I really remember, uh, kind of the overall message of that reading was that Gaia was asking us to tune in and listen to her. Um, and that, uh, for me, there was a big shift when, uh, you were talking about one of your runes and really talking about, um, moving from a visual way of, of connecting to a more auditory one. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love that. I love that anything that that kind of syncs you up with the natural rhythms and orients you that way, I think is uh, that to me is kind of the point of my practice is how do I start to tune into the natural rhythms of the planet and start to uh, adjust my lifestyle to be able to be in uh, fluidity with that. <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's, um, the thing that comes to my mind at the moment is, um, my sister had brought up, um, we were sitting around the fire the other night and my sister had brought up, um, her grieving and her, her, her process with my mom having passed. And, um, we were talking about, um, about it and she's like, I, I don't feel like I've grieved. I don't feel like I've um, done any of that. And she goes, and I don't feel it. And I'm not, you know, really sure why. And she has, she suffers from anxiety. And so we kind of were talking and um, it, that's a very kind of like, um, it, it led me into thinking some of this, uh, what I'm about to say, but um, you and I have had spoken a while ago about like um, that, the ego starts to uh, when you are threatening it with dying or <laughs> extinction, uh, it tends to fight back. And um, one thinking about um, over the last, you know, six weeks with this and trying to set up um, a more, um, gosh, more maybe like of a routine within my practice, uh, my personal practice, and looking at these things really takes me to this, uh, to this place of thinking about um, my resistance to, and I'm sure other people are going through this because our, all of our schedules are um, really fucked up. Uh, from what they were, but my resistance to looking at and living closer to the land, whatever my ego resistance is. Um, and I was just thinking about how that to me is looking like, I never want to be wrong. Um, and I never want to be told I'm wrong and it's funny that I even think about it in those terms but where I'm going is uh with this is I'm resisting it because it really does show me how um how far off the mark <laughs> I will put it that way I was with living in in uh a relationship a closer relationship with the rhythms of nature and of the earth yeah i didn't really especially for pagans i think it's funny because i think 
a lot of times we try and live in both worlds, <laughs> um, but to really look at and say, well, yes, I'm pagan or heathen or whatever, but then to really be, be have it brought to my attention that I am not living as close to the earth as I, sh as I would like, or um, as would be beneficial for me. That's a, a weird little reality check for, for me as a, for myself as a pagan. <laughs> um, uh, it was, in, it's interesting for me to go through that little bit of a process and even try and vocalize it where I'm like, I don't, Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, time to start, uh, uh, really, really, uh, allowing for the change and not trying to resist it as much. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, um, you know, what I see in, uh, a lot of the pagan community is, has been, uh, you know, more ceremonial, uh, so ceremonial around the Sabbaths, um, but that's not where the tradition comes from. The tradition comes from actually really, really practical reasons why you attune to the seasons and the rhythms of the planet. It was about, it was necessary in order to grow food and sustain yourself. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, part of the celebration is, you know, when you work really hard for three months in order to tend a crop or plant seeds or uh, nurture the ground in stillness or, you know, whatever it is, there's a season for that entire growth cycle um, that to me, the Sabbath is about a celebration of an ending of a phase and a beginning of something new in a very practical way. Um, and that with the kind of urban living that I do, uh, I have been tuning into it in a much more energetic way. So I'm not really planting things and, you know, living off the land. Yeah, I'm more taking that into myself and my own psyche and recognizing that I'm part of the planet. So the elements that make up this body, this person shift and change along with uh, the elemental shifts of the planet. Um and I think it's a, it's a very different thing when that stops being a wholly esoteric practice and starts really being a practical one. Um, I was just talking to Tate about that today, about the, the differences, um, uh, not differences, the, the multifacetedness of um, practicing and walking the wheel of the year um in terms of agriculture and planting uh and in terms of the energeticness of yes we we planted seeds um in uh, in bulk but here i'm not planting seeds until you know i planted seeds a couple weeks ago that were inside but it's a really it's a it's a it's just so multifaceted and i think that's what i really um love about it too is that you don't have to live on land and plant things like that's, you don't, that's not a prerequisite, you know? Um, and you still, one can still uh, really tune into the energies of that into 
not the energy of like the, the the process and the the journey that it takes us on you know year after year cycle after cycle um season after season and um i think that's one of the things that really appeals to me about um this part of my walk being um uh tuned into the the different seasons in the wheel yeah no matter how, how much I sometimes like everything to be the same, uh, that's becoming less and less as I get older and also um, experience more, of course. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about a friend of ours uh, who... Uh, is just deeply connected with the land whites uh, of the space where she lives and has a background uh, where she knows the plants. And I think of, you know, I celebrate in circle with her uh, the Sabbaths and have been doing so for the last probably few years. And it's always interesting. She'll come to the circle with whatever is ripe. So she will have made something, uh, you know, whether it's tea or what, you know, whatever little thing. She always brings an offering of whatever is ripe. Um, and so, you know, I think of harvest as being in the fall. But the truth is, is that uh, at least in the Pacific Northwest, uh, there are different um, crops that have different fruition and harvest times. Yep. And so there is, so I think one of the things that she brings to our circle that I'm always fascinated with is I'm always curious about this plant uh, had its abundant time in this time of the year. What does that tell me about this plant? What energy it carries, what it's good for? Um, I think in terms of the herbalism piece, um, that to me has been a very fascinating question for me of, uh, you know, a plant in its season tells me something about the earth season and rotation as well. Um, and uh, when I can journey with those plants, um, I have, there's a different connection that gets made than when I'm just kind of practicing the wheel of the year without it being connected to uh, what is the earth actually showing me right now? Interesting. Yeah. The complexity of, um, the complex, yeah, I, it, that complexity is fascinating. Um, because I think it, it's funny to me now that I'm thinking about, you know, like, um, what was it? I think someone over the weekend, oh, uh, so uh, for those of you who, who don't know, um, Teresa and I both uh, participated in the Witches Conference uh, online um, over Beltane weekend, um, brought to us by Eliminal Magic. Um, so if you're interested, look up that Facebook group. But um, though, I think it was Lisa who actually mentioned something about the best and most powerful um, spells and rituals are ones that um, are ones that you've that have your personal touch to them, and I think that that even yes. 
that even drill, uh, it just, it like drops it to a different level of, okay, if I, uh, I'm just going to use love. If I'm doing a love spell, um, it will be different ingredients and different things in the time, uh, based upon the, also the time of the year and the growing of the cycle of those things, because I can't just walk outside. I can't, um, and grab red rose petals in December or January and I, <laughs> yes, I can dry them and keep them, but is that, and does that really uh, allow for us to ride the wave of the energies of winter uh, and how love would work during the winter? Uh, you know, where is that aspect? It just, it, uh, it makes me think much more um, about and uh, it, it makes me think more, but also uh, appreciate um, that I believe in uh, UPG <laughs> and I don't have to do what the book tells me. Right. Right. Well, I, you know, that was something that really kind of hit me over the weekend as well, um, is that to me, uh I think of it a lot like uh, learning music. You know, if you're going to learn an instrument, you're going to kind of learn maybe some of the rules of the instrument. So, you know, and I'm going to date myself because it probably isn't taught like this anymore. <laughs> but when I was a kid learning piano, it was like, okay, there are these exercises you do that limber up the fingers. Um, and then the first thing that you do is I was learning scales. Um, and so you kind of learn the building blocks of music before, and then I would play other people's music. I never got good enough, uh, or maybe I just didn't have the interest to actually start composing my own music. Uh, but to me, that's, that's one of the things that really hit me from uh, the conference over the weekend and being able to hear so many uh magical people speak about their practice from their own perspective and these were people who uh for the most part we may have all started on a path that was already determined and we gathered tools but as we started walking we really crafted our own paths and that um to me, the most potent magic is one that has a high degree of artistry or creativity to it, um, that learns the energetic of things and my connection and how I relate to it in a way that uh, it isn't about following the rules. It's about uh, following my inspiration and that my inspiration often asks me to use a tool in a way that I have not heard of it being asked or being used before. Um, so I think it's fascinating what you're talking about. I mean, my mind is already racing with, oh my God, I wonder what a love potion in December is like versus like a love potion in July, you know, yeah. what, what's in season, um, to me, winter is often about whatever I've harvested, I'm storing things. Um, and so just the idea of, you know, making a tea out of things that have been dried uh, is so synergistic with the energy of winter and things drying out and freezing um, and that adding, you know, hot water or something kind of reinvigorates it. 
uh, there's something that I think is very curious and interesting to me about, oh, I wonder what the effects of that love potion would be as opposed to a love potion, say in July, when you're eating like juicy, sweet berries and the experience of the magic you're casting while you're doing that is so different. Absolutely. Because just in keeping with our example, I kind of was thinking like, um, you know, I, I would... And this maybe uh, goes harkens back to our ancestors who lived in longhouses, but um, like I would be holding that love potion or that love satchel uh, in between two fur, you know, fur uh, pieces, um, animal furs, because that's where that kind of mm, intimacy would be happening. Whereas, like at Beltane in July and, st- and Beltane, and then in July you possibly could be making love laying on the beautiful green grass that's soft against your skin, but warm from the sun, very different than the fur that it would have been held in, in the winter. Yeah. Listen to us like waxing inspirational. We're like muses. We're like the Greek muses today. (laughs) I feel inspired. Well, well, that's really funny uh, because, you know, when when you and I, uh, we always like to touch base before an episode to just kind of see if anything is uh, like up for either of us. And uh, you were asking me and I said, I feel like I'm in a null point. I'm just in this place of stillness. Um, and it's funny, I think it was just last night, I was experiencing that stillness where I was, I actually was asking for inspiration. Um, so, so I'm wondering how you feel about um, casting our tools today to find what is the inspiration of Beltane and the element of fire and this year this season uh so not beltane in general but beltane 2020 i think that's great yeah you like so what inspiration can we ow i just burned myself on a candle sorry (laughs) um well i think beltane just gave you an answer right there yours is probably going to be really fiery (laughs) beltane's like (laughs) a bitch why are you putting your like if you put your finger near the flame, you're gonna get burned. Yeah. Right. Okay, episode's <laughs> over. I got my message. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Yeah, let's yeah, I like that. Okay, so I'm gonna pick up my drum and what I would invite our listeners to do is though you will not be listening as we are live recording. I trust that magic works in different time. So what I would invite our listeners to do is uh, just listen to the drum. My intention is going to be that uh, messages about Beltane 2020. What is that energy? What is the inspiration for us? Uh, What is it that we want to align with um, uh, and just help get maybe some direction from the elements that are the season that is Uh, and I invite you to also listen to the drum and just hold that intention for yourself. 
so that as we cast our tools, you are most prepared to receive whatever messages are meant for you. Are we ready? I'm ready. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm. Hmm. It's funny. Um, you know, I have my two sets of runes, the Quake and Aspen, and then the Yew Tree. And the Yuchir is, um, you know, connects to the rune Avas, which is the balance of life and death. And a lot of people see the Yuchir as like a, just kind of, a, I think, mostly death. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a balance to it. And I think uh, those are the ones I'm pulling from today, which was funny because I thought, why would I pull from the death ones at Beltane? But connecting it like uh like that was the thing is like it's a there's a balance of it and i think that that's um um interesting that that's what i got uh what deck are you using today uh i am using the tarot of the hidden realm so they're my fey deck uh i love what you just said um one of the classes i taught last weekend was about um a practice that I have of orienting myself to the wheel of the year um, energetically and it, and with movement. Um, and I don't know if I said it during that uh, class or not, but one of the things that came out of that practice was this awareness of, uh, you know, when I start and I'm facing the direction of whatever season it is, it's uh, 
oppositional or polar position is at my back. And as I started kind of tuning into what was in front of me, eventually what started happening was that naturally also drew me to what was behind me. And to see the channel of energy of things that are in uh, facing each other in oppositional position. So I think it's very interesting, you know, Beltane, the, the, what would be, if you're looking at the wheel of the year and facing directly south, what's at your back is directly north, which is Samhain and Earth and Earth. So it's all of that energy. I, I can literally feel that as at my back. Um, it feels very supportive. It's very uh, secure. Uh, it's also incredibly stable, which I like because fire can be very wild. So to me, it, it's such a nice balancer. I love the fact that the runes you were drawn to today are the runes that are made of wood that would uh, typically be associated yeah. with Samhain. Um, I hadn't thought about it. I just kind of went went with my feeling. So uh, yeah, that's a that's exactly that's brilliant. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about my orientation on the wheel, um, and why that would make sense. Um, which is int- it, it, it's always interesting to me because you know we've talked about this with my magic i sometimes just do and don't always um think about uh i don't always uh desire to understand why i felt that or why but i think that that's um uh something that actually now i i am uh bringing into my focus, um, into my practice, um, so that I, (laughs) uh, just because I think it's a good idea for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any, uh, real wrong way to practice magic. Um, so, uh, so I think whatever calls you, but I do think that when you, when you do walk a magical path, the magic will ask you to grow and develop. Um, but we grow and develop in very different directions. Um, so I, I love uh, that you're kind of sharing what is the learning edge right now. Um, I think that we all have that. Um So I'm curious to see what our cards have to say about the magic of this particular season for wherever we are in our development. Are you ready? um, I I haven't. um, And it's not that I have it uh, on purpose, but the candle that I burned myself with has (laughs) gone crazy. And it's probably like, it was probably an inch of it left when you started to drum. It's completely burned down. And now there was a little bit of sage, uh, like a mugwort in the bottom that I had lit a couple leaves. And it is now in this little like cauldron of fire that kind of moves from side to side in the, in, in the candle holder, which is one of those, um, uh, the, um, green marble, Connemara marble ones I brought back, like you have from Ireland. So it's this little cauldron of fire that kind of dances around 
the inside of it. It's not. It's no longer a single flame like that. It's dancing around it. It's really fascinating to watch. And this. Wow. Um. Have you? Uh, yes. Are your runes still in the bag? I would love to have you like pass that over the flame and ask the flame to inspire the. Okay. Girl. You said that, and it focused into one flame. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. So, so that also says to me that you might want to consider uh, delving into some candle magic this season, and really working with flame and fire. With a fire extinguisher near me. <laughs> uh, or outside in a fire pit where if things catch right. it'll be an okay thing. okay so let's see oh it's just dancing okay so I passed them over and I'm going to pull did you already pull your cards I did they fell out of the deck oh, as beautiful. I was shuffling so uh, I'm, they, they were like they were like little pop rocks <laughs> they were very excited and showed me very clearly which ones are part of the oh, reading. Cool. So that's great. What'd you get? Well, I'm just turning them over. Wow. Real masculine. Um, <clears throat> wow. I have three shirtless male fae. <laughs> Three's a good number. <laughs> um, three is a good number. And uh, so the first card I got is a major arcana card. I got the hanged man. Um, the second card I got is the knight of swords. And he's more of, um, so the hanged man, I want to say, looks to be uh, maybe in his 30s. The knight of sword is like early 20s at best. So uh, just kind of out of adolescence, which makes sense because um, the knight is the second of the court cards. So uh, the court cards often move uh, in a way of aging or developing ma maturity. So he's still fairly young. Uh, and then the last one is the Eight of Pentacles, which is, I I've been getting this card a lot in our last few episodes. It's the one of the Fae uh, standing in the forge in the flame, uh, holding a coin in metal pinchers. And it's like he's in the fire, uh, pulling out his creation from the flame. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> so I would read the fact that they're all in masculine form. Uh, in this particular tradition, um, it's not as precise to say like masculine is active and feminine is inactive or receptive, although I've heard it be that binary. Um, I, it, to me, it doesn't feel that way. It feels uh, more like um, the action is slightly different. So masculine and feminine both tend and nurture and support life and both of them destroy they do it in slightly different ways though um so to me this feels a lot like craftsmanship it feels like developing um i'm almost seeing like an apprentice path 
of the first part is initiation, which requires a completely turning upside down your worldview or what you think reality is. Being willing to do that, there's a very prominent yellow butterfly in the right-hand corner of my Hanged Man card, which is all about you are you are sacrificing the life that you thought was real in order to create some kind of transformation. So this is a very willful, intentional act of uh, my perspective is no longer serving my growth. And so I'm going to turn myself on my head and uh, let everything get shaken up. Uh, but it's with intention. Um, so I think one of the things that we have in the Christian story that is kind of left over from the pagan traditions is Jesus's sacrifice. And um, what I notice about that is uh, to me, there's an equation of sacrifice with victim. And this card has no victim in it. Uh, it's a very empowered card. As a matter of fact, I would even argue it's one of the cards with the strongest will uh, or agency in it because you have to choose to let go of your worldview and allow uh, the delusion or illusion of the world that you thought was real to to reveal itself. Um, and it takes a lot of courage to be willing to do that. Um, so to me, it's, it's a very different kind of sacrifice than, uh, than at least what I grew up with, with thinking of Jesus as a yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. Hmm. And then to me, moving into the Knight of Swords, this kind of, uh, fresh out of adolescence, just starting his first footsteps into the adult world he has his sword drawn and it's pointed to the sky and directly over it um, is a crow. He is not actually interacting with the crow. What I actually like about it is they're both faced in the same direction. Um, so it's almost like they have a connection through the sword, which would be through ideas, dreams, imagination uh, to me, the feeling is I'm connecting with the crow and I'm almost journeying like I'm seeing through the crow's eyes. And they're both looking off to the right and looking into the future. Um, so to me, it's a hopeful card, but it's also a card that recognizes I still need guidance or mentorship. Um, in this particular card, it's not from uh, like a master witch. It's actually from a creature of the planet. Um, so I like that. And then to me, the developmental process I see is, you know, you sacrifice what you thought was true. You connect in a different way with the world as it is. And then the mature card is, and now I can forge and craft from this new knowledge. I would say we have some similar threads. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Great. Surprise. Um, if we didn't. Oh, we absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so. Yeah. Um, I cast the runes and uh, 
funnily enough, <laughs> um, Esau, which is stillness. So that would be, I, I thought it was funny because you were talking about your, the, the space of this um, null space. Um, and then I also, the other one that came yeah. up, face up was Avaz, the rune balance between life and death. So uh, I. So like the pivot point. That's so still it, point uh, the, I, yeah, yeah, the picture I, I almost had was, um, so Ava, uh, if you split Avaz in half, um, like if I were to put Esau as the horizon, because it's a single line, and cut those in half, you have the roots and the branches of the tree above and below, and it's balanced. Um, and I found, uh, I think, um, for me, what I'm, uh, what I'm sensing here is that this is a time, it, it is a time where that shit, that also, that image also makes uh, the the quarters um, and the, you know, moving around the circle, it makes four spokes. <laughs> so um, there is a, um, a moment where right now it's okay to stop because uh, <laughs> too often we're thinking about the next thing instead of being in the moment and in the, the the beauty of that part of the wheel that we're on, the part of the journey that we're on, we have been missing because we're always thinking about the next part of the journey <laughs> and getting to that. Um, now, uh, underlying that, I had three runes that were face down. Um, and these are really, um, so I had Gabo, uh, Os and Eeyore, and Eeyore is one of the ones I actually uh, did a presentation on for the Witches Conference, so if you're interested in that, you can go back and see that, um, hopefully, um, on Liminal Magic. On Liminal Magic, yep. Liminal Magic Facebook page, that's that's where all of yep. our classes are. And if are they're not there, the please let us know, and, and we'll direct you to where they are. Um, the fun, the, the, the yeah. cool thing about this is that um, I oh, I connected with uh the card where he's in the fire creating, um, because it that mm -hmm. is about manifesting. It's about using our breath to manifest, and it is about the creation of um of that 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 part of creation where we are in a space to manifest. It's not um, it's it's not just sitting in our belly ready to come out or it's not sitting in the cauldron stewing it's actually almost done and we're now ready to manifest um with the other two runes um uh, gabo hasn't shown up for me for a while um but i i think it harkens back to this this need for um balance and equal exchange um and in this spread um, at this time of year, um, I'm feeling that with Beltane, <laughs> um, there, there is a sense of, hmm, uh, 
there's a sense of stopping to catch our breath, <laughs> first of all. Um, and yes. that's where I feel like mm-hmm. this, where Gabo comes in. And in an interesting way where it's not like um, necessarily equal exchange literally, but it is about the exchange of breath going out versus coming in and um, the energy pouring out versus coming in. Well, it's like the tides. I mean, everything that you're talking about, I'm actually feeling in uh, the pit of my stomach uh, that oceanic rhythm of uh, it's very fluid. So um, it's it, to me when you talk about equal exchange, that almost feels um, how do I say this? It's very static. It's like okay, I'm giving you something that's worth a dollar. You're giving me a dollar. It's like the exchange rate is set. It's very concrete. It's very practical. Whereas when I think of the tides. Um, it's not that static. So even when a tide is coming in, it, it starts to come in and it moves further and further in with each successive wave, sort of. Uh, um, and then as it goes out, it recedes with each, uh, successive wave. Um, so it's, it's much more fluid and nuanced, Um, And that's kind of what I'm feeling, even when you're talking about it being the breath, my breath moves in that same kind of fluid way. Um, There is, there does seem to be that pause in between the inhalation and exhalation, but it's not one that I'm often aware of. Like I have to bring Um, mindfulness. I think it's, thank you for saying all of that, because as I'm taught, as I was talking to you describing Gabo, I'm actually bringing my, I was bringing my hands in to my heart and then pushing them out. And it was this very rhythmic, like the waves coming in and out motion. That's so thank you for, for catching on uh, to, to that, because that's exactly what I was doing, trying to describe what I like feeling. Um, so thank you. And uh, that I, I absolutely agree. So it's, it's interesting to me, to you, to hear you say the pause that you don't necessarily think about, because I sometimes feel like when I'm leading meditation or when I've led meditation in the past, um, it's hard for us. And maybe this is the part of the, the message too. It's hard for us to make breathing in and out a fluid motion because we breathe in and hold it. Or where is that fine tipping point where it's not a stuttered uh, motion? It's not a stuttered pattern, but it's very fluid. Um in that so i think that one so eeyore let me uh jump to that because it it connects um is about moving back and forth and um what i saw was even though we're exhaling and inhaling at two uh we see it as being two different things where are we inhaling when we're exhaling And where are we exhaling when we're inhaling? Um, And I think there's like a really, that's like woo-woo as fuck, I think. So I'm going to have to go with that for just a second. But where is that a more fluidness? And where is our breath? Like, where can we make our breath a more fluid place? Um, 
even at this time where we're starting to feel all the the energies of summer and of of fecundity and of like all the energy that comes from the sun where and how can we create and make that be a more fluid place where where we can be more still in in a time of energy but in a time of mm, movement well so a couple of things the first thing is uh for those who are listening i think the questions that you are asking are deeply embedded uh in practices like pranayama uh and pranayama is all about bringing awareness to the breath and recognizing that um that we can actually alter our state of consciousness by being mindful of our breath and intending our breath in certain ways so there are certain pranayama exercises that i've done where what you're doing is you're you're trying to slow and deepen your breath and so you may take an inhalation to the count of eight or to the count of 16 you're overemphasizing the pause in between and giving that account. And then you're exhaling slowly at a count of eight or 16. And there is something that happens um, when you do that, that, uh, that alters one's state of consciousness. Then there's also something called holotropic breath work, which um was kind of created by a man. His name is Stanislav Grof. He used to do uh, LSD experiments in the 60s. And when LSD no longer became something that you could explore and experiment with, he actually found uh, that circular breathing uh, creates very similar effects in the brain as uh, LSD does. And so circular breathing is actually omitting the pause in the middle so that uh, you breathe very heavy, but, but there is no pause. So what you're doing is it's almost like creating uh, hyperventilation um, and it over oxygenates the brain, which takes you on journey. Um, so that's kind of my first reaction to some of the things that you're saying but I also find it interesting that as we're talking about the fluid state of the ebb and flow I used water as a metaphor and you used air as a metaphor and we are seeking guidance from fire so to me what's really landing with great emphasis is uh you know, that there is a fluid state. I don't tend to think of fire as fluid. Um, and yet I think there's something about each element has a fluid state. Um, even if we don't always experience it or recognize it as such. Yeah. Um, so, so like, I'm like, now I'm imagining stepping into a bath of fire. What would that, what would I experience if I asked fire to take a fluid state? There, um, so there's a really uh, interesting part of my practice where uh, if I'm grounding and centering, um, I will ground 
Uh, I will uh, access my roots that are below the surface and the tap root that goes down to the magma uh, at the center yeah. of the earth, right? And I bring up the fire from that and it almost, I almost see myself as being on fire on the outside, um, which mm-hmm. helps me center, but I, it centers me by, by burning off the excess energy that I don't need. So, or that, that kind of keeps me from being centered. That's my focus during that practice. Um, that's one of the things I thought about just now with, you said bathing in fire. And I was like, oh, well, I kind of, I do get a little bit as you that. Do that. And so I think that's really, yeah, it's fascinating that you said that. I also, my other thought uh, when you were responding and talking about the, um, the breath was that, you know, we stop and say, Beltane was May 1st and we celebrated and we're done. Um, but it's very like, um, part of what I, it's newborn. Yeah. Still. And it's, and it's, um, it's a season. It's not just a day, you know? Yes. And I think that even, even um, we're just so used to the calendar and that it has to be a day instead of it being a season. And that's, I'm doing the whole, f- yeah. <laughs> the waves thing again with my hands um, there. I probably should meditate with that later. Um, there, there is really something about allowing for the fluidity of, of the season Instead of um, really, oh, are we going to have to get into the lunar calendar? Are we going to have to start living? I think, yeah, I I think we have to integrate it. So I don't think it's an either or because a big part of what you're talking about is I actually see a season like I think of a day. So like Beltane, yes, we've there's been. It, in one way, there's been a radical shift. We've shifted elements. So it's no longer the time of air, it's the time of fire. That can feel like a kind of an abrupt shift. Um, But I also see like, this is the birth of the fire season, which means it's a newborn, Um, which means, you know, to me, I kind of see it like the sun moving across the sky is that it's just risen. And that it reaches its full strength, full power, the pinnacle or zenith of its time at summer solstice. And then the days start to dwindle again as we move towards the dark half of the year. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still light here in the Pacific Northwest till 930, like into August. So I don't have any kind of perceptual shift of oh after june 21st or thereabouts uh things start getting darker i don't start noticing until we're almost at the equinox and yet it is true that uh you know whatever the the exact day after the longest day is is now shorter than the day before and every successive day is going to be shorter than the day before we're already moving that the zenith has passed and now we're in the descendant um and i think that the moon the lunar calendar is actually really helpful for that because the moon cycles so quickly we actually have a perceived uh shifting of the moon like if you went out every night and looked at the moon you would notice difference 
uh, really quickly, just from one night to the next, both in how full or not full the moon is, but also the time it rises and the time yep. it sets. And so it's when you connect that way, uh, to me, it's very easy to start to be influenced by and understand that there's a fluid nature that uh, season didn't start on Beltane and now we have summer until Lunasa. It's There is a, a, even an ebb and flow within a season of how that element shows up. Yeah. So I love that you tuned into that. I love that that's, and I'm going to freak out. Oh, God, hold on. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Um, So you were talking about your grounding practice. And one of the things, uh, when I first started learning how to do shamanic journeying, um, I, one of the things that happened is the spirit that I first encountered would often put me under a veil. So I wouldn't be able to see her very clearly. And it was all about developing trust and developing trust without sight. Um, and, uh, when I decided to begin to trust her, the first thing she did was kind of challenge that. Uh, she stood me up and, uh, and this happened in journey and she built a ring of stones around me and then she made me a pillar of fire. Wow. And, and, uh, so I think it's very interesting what you're talking about. My, uh, she then threw like herbs into me and the herbs would, Uh, It was like they burst like fireworks. It was a really cool experience. Um, But I was so focused on like the external flame that I never really thought about, well, what's rising up in me that just like a wick in a candle, a wick is there in order to be saturated with the fuel that ignites the flame. Like if you had just a dry wick, that thing would burn in an instant. It's the, it's the flu, it's the wax that um, actually allows the flame to have a longer life. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that that's really interesting to me that we're kind of back to uh, like a more of a watery um watery experience of fire um you know i don't know if that's sometimes and i've heard this and uh i don't experience esau this way a lot but esau is sometimes experienced as a rolling blue fire um and it's showing up that's what i saw was this kind of like it's almost like um i guess you know like the at the really core of the fire is white and blue because that's where it's the hottest Right, I think so. Right. Like that's kind of what I started to see was this like rolling white and blue beginning, like this really hot place, but it hasn't, it hasn't ma- not matured, but it hasn't grown. It hasn't. 
if there's not the fuel to 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 create well it right it's burning from internal fuel that hasn't found the external source right. to feed it yet yes um yeah oh that's a that's an interesting thought because i often think of uh you know for me the fire never dies out uh, it just moves from being in the external space to being in the internal space. So part of my Samhain ritual is often uh, I feel like I take um, a flaming ember from the hearth fire, whatever that is. It's symbolic for me. Uh, I'm taking a flaming ember of my hearth fire and I'm actually carrying it in the descendant path deep down into the earth so that it can continue to smolder through the winter time. And that that is the thing that when the in bulk air comes, it starts to blow on that ember and bring it um, more, more fully to life. It activates it in some way. Um, and Beltane to me is often when, and now it's burning or now it's feeding on something from the external environment instead of being tended from yeah, the internal. Yeah, I think that's a, a really beautiful uh, way to look at that. It also reminds me that I, I need um, people who are air signs around me to help fan my fire. <laughs> yeah, and water signs to help cool it or, you know, how I had this vision the other day cause, because because uh, the last class I taught was really about creating more of a continuum out of the wheel of the year instead of these static yep. stuck points. Um, and I started playing with the idea of, uh, you know, in this particular shift of Beltane, when the, when the air has fed the flame so that the flame is now reaching out, what happens to the water? And I was like, well, the water would become yeah. steam. And so how the water particles may experience this new freedom to play in the element of air when they normally live in a much denser reality, um, which to me comes right back to my hanged man of, um, you know, this card is often read as... Um, something fairly momentous so you know like a graduation a wedding we have these um mile markers in our life that where our life really really changes and to me what i'm feeling in this card right now is don't wait for those big shifts uh recognize that there is a turning on its ear a reality uh, every time the energies around you shift and if you can learn to let your perspective be as fluid as the elemental uh, wheel actually is maybe the need for such an abrupt huge perspective shift will not be necessary yes um and to add to that, I absolutely think that when when those alignments start to happen and those noticing start to happen, even on a subconscious level, um, things like what I'm about to tell you happen. Um, we cleared away 
you know, the, the space around the land altar um, and some of the bushes to reveal the, the stone circle that then does, you know, it's the, the wheel of the year calendar. Uh, but right next to it, uh, a couple feet away, um, I felt like we needed to have like a, a, a fire pit that was um, for sacred time, not just gathering around with a Budweiser and, you know, like whatever, nachos time, but it was for sacred fire and that we just um, put in place today. And I didn't even think about it. I, it was just like listening, like allowing myself to slow down. And these things just happen because you're listening. It's not, it's not happening yeah. because you've made the decision that, Oh, it's uh Beltane. We should build a fire pit. It just happened and it just flowed. I think you just said something brilliant about what you said your kind of learning edge is right now. I mean, you were saying that you really flow with your emotions or your feelings about things. Um, and you've been challenging yourself a little bit more to understand them. Um, I think what you just said took it out of the context of uh, I need to understand my uh, what I'm feeling from my own perspective too. Perhaps what I'm feeling is actually a communication. Yeah. Mm. Like something about that fire pit told you it was a fire pit for ritual, for ceremony, for sacred space, not for recreation uh do you want me to take you one step deeper of course uh, holy shit just remembered so um right before we moved which was Samhain last year um in that exact spot i had dug a hole uh built a fire and released a whole bunch of sacred objects that I had been, uh, that I had, and I released them all, and then I covered it back up, and now coming back, I know that that's the place where the fire needs to be built. Oh, that's uh, and awesome. I, I shit you not, I just was like, wait, when did I, oh, wait a minute, that was Samhain last year, right before we moved, and then I, it was, they were all sacred objects, and, and, and uh, there was probably some sort of, uh, I don't know, consecration of the space almost, but not consecration, consecration, yeah. but in, in, uh, active being called to that spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't sacred because you decided it was sacred. It was sacred because something about the spot called you to, uh, to take sacred yeah because we it, uh it's not like that was the only place that was yeah. available we have like this whole gigantic field that i could have gone anywhere in and built it but that's where that's where yeah. uh, i felt i should do it hmm. i think it'll be fascinating uh when you build the next fire there to actually look around at what plants are growing nearby uh what what like, I, I think it would be interesting to build a fire, take out my drum, and just connect with whose voice yeah. was I hearing. It's funny. So, um, I always say that, but it kind of is. Uh, again, we do not, 
because we always want the answer now, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I will personalize that. Because I always want the answer now, um, understanding now and looking back and seeing this process of even just the last six months or the last six years with the land altar um, and now the last six months with fire to fire, um, it's a really, uh, the I believe I'm working with the land whites and we have started engaging more um, with that and feeling those rhythms and but also feeling the influence of those uh, land spirits or beings happens over, you know, years. Um, and that's just yeah. something that, um, that I, 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 uh, I'm impatient, but, uh, I'm learning to, um, just be, and then those things happen over time and the messages come over time. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I I don't want to speak for you, but uh, I know as a fire sign myself and having a fiery nature, um, I can engage at a depth of connection with someone long before the trust or the intimacy has been established to do so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've heard periodically throughout my life is, you know, when I find a group that I'm interested in and I want to get to know them and explore that community, I've often been given the feedback after a very short time that I feel I feel to them so much like I already belong, like yeah. I'm a member. Um, and part of that is my shapeshifty kind of nature. So I can do that pretty easily easily i think part of that is my empathic gift i can get a feel for something and i like to feel uh like what does it feel like to have this energy fully embodied um which doesn't necessarily mean it's true for me it just means i'm i'm exploring um but I also find that uh, those things that I explore are usually pretty short-lived. So though I feel like I really belong fairly quickly, I also move through the place of um, I've gained this experience. I, I feel like I've got uh, some new perspectives from it. And now I start to feel how, um, how who I am and what this group requires, where the difference is. Um, I just lost my way. Um. Oh, so, so uh, I just want to kind of support what you're saying about, you know, the kind of connection that you're talking about, I think does take time that um, you can connect in a way that kind of uh, feigns intimacy and trust, uh, but it's more of an exploration. That level of real deep intimacy and trust uh, is something that I think comes from staying power, staying connected, staying in relationship. Absolutely, and that is um, that's the one thing that I uh, I am uh, in this 
phase of my life, really looking at with all of my relationships, um, especially my uh, relationships with, uh, you know, my, my spiritual, my spirituality, my, uh, gosh, if we want to even like my gods, my guides, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's going to be, and I think that that scares me. So I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but the intimacy and the fulfillment of that type of a really long-term, um, deep relationship, um, is something that, um, is a little scary, but it's also, um, for me, something that I now crave. You long yeah. for? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's like falling in love. It's like, uh, you know, the thing that really struck me, uh, our good friend, Kelly Claire, uh, who does the spiritual messenger talk this weekend about uh, both opening and developing your intuitive gifts. And uh, the thing that I kind of heard over and over uh, that she was emphasizing, but also that people were responding to was that though people really want this, they also fear it. And it's the fear that gets in the way. Um and to me, it's interesting because part of what you're saying, I can only tell you what my path has been. My path has been that um, the more I open and I'm willing to have kind of a consistent everyday contact interaction with those that do not take corporal form, or even if they take corporal form, it's not human form. So like talking to trees, uh, the more that becomes... Um, an integrated part of my reality, um, I am very aware that uh, some of those things cannot be shared outside of a spiritual community because people look at me like I have lost it. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, when when I'm saying things like, uh, well... My afternoon, my home plants are calling me. They need to be tended and rearranged. They would, they would like me to stir up the energy a little bit. Uh, You know, I'm not telling that to somebody who is calling me up and asking for like a lunch date. (laughs) Sorry, I can't today. My house plants need me. (laughs) You know. Uh, But I also have experienced the more that I talk with the land and the more that I talk with the spirits of the land, the devas or the fae or whatever you want to call them or the whites, um, I actually have, I I will walk out into my yard during the day or at night and I will often see movement out of the corner of my eye that when I turn my head, nothing's there. Or let me rephrase that. I believe something is there that my direct gaze cannot uh, read, cannot pick up on. Um, And, and I was thinking about this after listening to Kelly in her classes and how prominent that fear was when, uh, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people drawn to her that know that they have, 
um, gifts and abilities that are beyond kind of the 3D world. And yet the primary thing that she works with with those individuals is yep. fear and anxiety. And um, and how much that makes sense of, yes, there's the place of being afraid of my own self, but I think there's also the place of being afraid of if I really open to the reality that is calling me, uh, will I still be able to fit in with the world in which I'm used to operating? I think that is the one of the biggest things that 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 uh, that keeps us from accessing those. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I think my own profession has had a large hand to play in creating that fear uh, because the field of psychology pathologizes uh, hearing things that other people don't hear, seeing things that other people don't see. Um, it's, it's funny, I was, uh, I don't remember what I was watching, but I tend to watch a lot of shows that are kind of you know, <laughs> supernatural in nature or about different abilities kind of waking up. Um, oh, it was the movie I was telling you and Moon about, about the guy who does the, the oh, auditory yes. tuning uh, in New York City. So I finally watched the rest of that movie and it's funny. It's very interesting to me where my stop point was when we did our episode, it was right about in the middle of the movie and the whole first half is really about what an exquisite and unique gift this man has to be able to tune into a city like New York and actually find uh, resonances and that he actually created a whole map where different parts of the city uh, vibrated at different uh, harmonic yeah. chords. And how the whole first half of the movie is how brilliant and talented he is. And then there becomes this pivot point um, where all of a sudden... Um, like we start to see that he is in contact with an academic community and kind of an advisor who continually kind of dismisses his work. Um, and at first it's, you know, that stereotypical, oh, uh, academia is not very imaginative and everything has to be verified and, um, it loses kind of its exploratory edge. But eventually what it becomes is that you become aware that no, academia actually thinks this guy is crazy in a crackpot. And uh, this other uh, like investor, um, like big corporate kind of person who he's been sending letters to about, please look at my research. I think it has application for your industry she's been getting every one of his letters and she too thinks he's crazy. So it takes this bend in the movie of at first, our perspective is what a beautiful, unique talent this man has to, Oh no, he's actually yeah. probably psychotic. And to me, what I see is I also see his, his own self-esteem, how he thinks about himself. 
Um, you know, he has his own crisis of faith where he's still working with his tools and he like throws his tuning forks and, you know, is very frustrated. And the question popped into my mind, is that really because he might be schizophrenic or pathological and that he's lost his mojo or did he lose his mojo because he's getting so much external feedback that invalidates who he actually is i think that's super intriguing because i kind of think that's what happens to us as children yeah we lose the magic because we lose our connection to that stuff because we're we're actually we're told no Well, because it's such a unique, personal, individualized experience that for some of us, if I can't, if I don't experience the way that you do, it can't be a shared reality. Except that it can be a shared reality if you just say, yeah, your reality is valid. I don't experience it the way that you do, but I trust that you do. And I trust that whatever you glean from your experience um, yeah, can enrich mine. Well, it's it's a it's you yeah. know a, a more complete picture of our existence when you have multiple when you have all the pieces of the puzzle. No two pieces of the puzzle are the same; they're all different. But when you put them all together, that shows us right a bigger picture or a more you get the picture. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think there's something interesting there. I'm not sure quite what it is yet, but um, since we're we're casting our tools at the you know the dawn of Beltane in the season of fire, I I think it'll be interesting to see if this is a theme that keeps showing up about um, the nature of reality and our our diverse perspectives and and how to how to validate uh, very unique perspectives um, in what we believe reality Absolutely. To be. Well, and if it's anything, yeah. yeah, it will be interesting to see how it shows up as it continues. Cause I think it will, cause we don't tend to step into single streams that we never see again. <laughs> That's true. We don't tend to, to do that. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward not just to summer being warm, but I'm looking forward to uh, to this because uh, for those of you who don't keep track, um, this is episode 51, which means uh, one more episode and we'll have done it every week for a year. So we've made one full yep. uh, turn around the around the wheel. Um, and so I'm, I'm really intrigued to see, um, how the kind of the main threads of the kind of keep going around the, the wheel of the year, uh, are, uh, colored by the, the moving into the future. You know what I think uh, might be fascinating, and I'm very open to changing this, but this is what is landing. So our next episode is going to be our Facebook Lives. 
Um, and that will be, uh, so, uh, last Sunday was the third, the 10th, the 17th. So May 17th, uh, 7.30 PM, uh, Pacific standard on web of resonance will be live doing readings. The one after that, uh, I think it would be really fascinating to revisit. I think our first episode was really about why we chose. Oh, I think so too. Oh, that would be fun. Wouldn't it be interesting to cast our tools again and see how does the web look different? Uh, Or what is it that we need to know about? Because it was all about how do we attune to that there is a collective and that even though we use our different tools, there's going to be some theme, there's going to be something that if there is a mysterious something out there that it is communicating through the diversity of our tools and there is some kind of coherence. Wow. Yes. So I think it would, I, I think that might be interesting. Uh, again, that's two weeks from when we actually record. So, you know, I'm open to things changing, but I think that that would be a very interesting episode is to revisit the web and how it's resonating now. What shifts yeah. have happened in a year since we began. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, throw that into the pot of episode 53. <laughs> and Put it on the back burner, <laughs> let it stir it every once in a while and see what happens. I like it. Yeah. So, thank you. So, thank you, Ken, for another awesome episode. And, uh, you know, I always like when we talk about fire because it's so uh, so prominent for both of us. Uh, but in, Absolutely. In and thank ways. you. Um, I And uh, I have enjoyed the past year of doing this. And... Uh, uh, doing it uh, every week is has been amazing, and we've um, we've talked a lot about a lot of things. Um, and thank you guys we sure for have. listening uh, for a year. Um, and if you have, or for one episode, <laughs> um, and don't forget that, uh, like Teresa mentioned, the next episode on the seventeenth is actually going to be our Facebook Live where. You guys ask us questions and we pull our runes and tarot cards and answer the question for you. Um, and that's 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. And uh, you just have to go to the Web of Resonance Facebook page to tune into that. Um, and thank you for listening today. We've, we've taken you on like almost an hour and a half journey. So hopefully your commute. Wait. Wait, well, if you're in a place <laughs> yes. where you can commute, um, that it helped your commute be better. If you're not, we hope that the comfy chair you sat in uh, out on the patio and spent an hour and a half with us was enriched. Yes. Lord, we talk a lot. <laughs> yes, and and we do talk a lot. Uh, yes. And uh, just thank you everyone for listening and for showing your support. We, uh, we love it when uh, we hear feedback and people show up at face at Facebook in our lives. It's um, it's nice to know that our meandering uh, is taking root for some of you and inspiring your own creative 
projects and ways of being in the world. So thank you very much for a year. It has been wonderful. I've loved doing Web of Resonance, and I'm looking forward forward to me too. Uh, so thank you guys, and uh, have a great week. Have a great week. <laughs>